Welcome to the 83rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a quick review of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look back at week 5 of the college football season and week 4 of the NFL season, and previewing the start of the MLB playoffs, including the wild card games and divisional series. Let's jump right in again with a very brief look at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Patrick was 10 and 2 overall in this weekend's predictions, which bring him to 194 and 147 overall, a 56.9% winning percentage this season. Patrick, your thoughts? Well, I went 4 and 0 in the NCAA, which is very, very nice. Uh, not really too close, too many close games there either. Uh, in the MLB, I picked all the teams who needed to win and were all coincidentally at home to win, and that turned out pretty well, except for the Yankees, who did not win but still made the playoffs, or did not win the series, but still won- still made the playoffs by winning just one game of that series. That's all they needed to do. Uh, and then in the NFL, you know, I just kind of picked what I thought was going to happen, and uh, other than the Rams, none of the teams let me down. All right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. That's at 4thand24.com. Let's move on and turn our attention to football and start with our weekly look at college football. So, Patrick, let's start with the biggest upsets from Week 5. I think the most obvious one is actually Stanford uh, at o- beating Oregon, not at Oregon, but winning in overtime 31-24 over the number 3 team in the country at the time. A uh, big upset. Uh, they really got helped by the fact that they got a fifth down, basically, uh, a fit, well, an untimed down at that, too. Uh, where they got a PI call that probably wasn't a PI call on the last call on the last play of the game on third and goal at least, or I guess second to last play of the game, and then on fourth and goal they they got or that was on fourth and goal actually, and then they got that untimed down which was the quote unquote fifth and goal as I'm calling it. Uh, Oregon still could have won in overtime though, and they didn't score a touchdown. So Stanford's defense really held up. Oregon had the chance to win the game. They didn't lose the game because of the referees. They only got it tied, and they still had the opportunity to overcome that, and they didn't do it, which is something that a real top five caliber team would do, uh, especially against a team that, you know, Stanford's two and two. They're not they're not bad, but they're not great either. They're not ranked. They're not going to be close to ranked. But uh, overall, a big upset there. Although actually. I think not actually as surprising as the upset of Texas A&M at home in a week where you thought they'd get a bounce back week playing Mississippi State, unranked Mississippi State at home. Uh, A&M now ranked as, or was ranked 15th going into the last week at, or going into the weekend. Uh, then they lost at home to Mississippi State 26 to 22. That's after that Arkansas lost 20 to 10 last weekend. It's not looking good for A&M. Uh, this was their season, really. This was supposed to be their season. They got all the easy games at home. Uh, and they Or they got all the tough games at home, and they got all the easy games on the road. And then they're losing the easiest games they do have at home. They're not even losing to the Alabamas of the world yet, which will happen next weekend um, But <laughs> when when the tide roll into town. But this is just a really, I mean, this this loss is awful. Like I think there's nothing else I can really say about it. It's just a bad loss. Uh, Kentucky beat Florida twenty to thirteen. That was another top ten team that fell this week. Uh, the two out of the four top team top ten teams that fell this week, but these were the only two upsets. Um, look, Dan Mullen was really stumped when a reporter asked him what what side of the ball was really the problem in the game and he didn't really have an answer because they cut, they outgained Kentucky by a hundred plus yards, but it 
doesn't matter how many yards you gain. It matters how many points you score. Uh, and thirteen yard and thirteen points, regardless of it was if it was almost three hundred yards, it doesn't matter. Uh, and even if their defense only gave up one hundred and fifty yards, guess what? You gave up twenty points. So in the end, Kentucky wins the game. Who cares what Dan Mullen has to say about who's to blame? Uh, and you know, Kentucky takes Kentucky gets a big victory, and they're five and zero now. So they should be easily ranked ranked pretty comfortably. They're one of the better unbeaten's because there's not many left, and uh, they actually have played a hard schedule. They play good teams so far. Uh, and they have some pretty good wins so far. I mean, not they haven't beaten any real top five teams. It's not like Oregon's win at Ohio State, but a win over a top ten team is pretty good regardless. Um, the next one I would talk about is Hawaii winning 27-24 to at Fresno State, number 18 in the country. Uh, or actually, no, not at Fresno State, in Hawaii. But number 18 heading into the week. They got a big win there. Uh, Fresno State really looking like they could run the table. Not really make the playoff or anything, make any waves for that, but maybe be a New Year's Six Bowl team if a group of five team got into the playoff, which there's a possibility of that that we'll talk about later. Um, and then Arizona State in another West Coast upset destroyed UCLA 42-23. to UCLA was number 20 in the country. You're really seeing what Arizona State can be when they don't turn the ball over five times against good teams. Uh, their defense does not give up that much. They, their defense is very, very solid. You know, they lost that game BYU 27-17. BYU is almost in the top 10 now. All of a sudden, it doesn't look like a bad loss um, after all. And that loss doesn't look bad also because they gave the ball away four times. And really, if it weren't for some heroics by BYU, uh, they could have easily had another drive in in BYU territory. Probably could have made that game 27-24. And if that was a one-possession loss, they'd look really, really good right, uh, right about now. But... Just in general, only losing by 10, turning the ball over four times against a good team that's, I mean, what, BYU is ranked 10th or 11th now at this point? So that's a, that's already a good sign. Uh, and then UCLA, maybe we could have seen this coming if we had looked at how good BYU's been recently, that Arizona State was a little bit better than what they were being ranked because at the beginning of the season they were ranked and then they went unranked and then everybody forgot about them and here they are again and now they're obviously ranked. So uh, a big win by Arizona State and those were the upsets for the week. Yeah, I would agree that A&M upset is, is, the, is the big doozy. And uh, Stanford continuing their pattern of beating a top 10 ranked Oregon team. They seem to have their number. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, obviously, we've talked about some upsets. So, similarly, most most disappointing teams, maybe some of the teams that got upset. Texas A&M is the, is, uh, the main one that I would uh, slide into this just because they had the worst upset loss. I mean, I, Fresno State losing on the road to a decent Hawaii team is not too bad. Uh, and Stanford, or that Stanford game was supposed to be close, um, and so was the Kentucky game against Florida, but this game was not supposed to be close for Texas A&M, and they needed a bounce back because they lost the week before, which is something that Florida and Oregon cannot relate to. Uh, so really just the downward spiral of A&M is not good. Uh, then I'm going to go with Clemson for only winning by six over Boston College. I had said that Boston College might be the best team in the ACC, but after I saw what happened to Missouri against Tennessee this weekend, I realized that Boston College's win over Missouri is about equivalent to Michigan's win over Western Michigan. So that's not a good win. It doesn't really mean much anymore, and I realized an SEC team, not all SEC teams are created equal. Obviously, SEC is the SEC is a good conference and everything, but 
Missouri is not a good team. It's not even a. I thought they were a middle of the conference team, which is probably better than most of the top of the ACC. But I think it's safe to say after this weekend that Auburn, LSU, Arkansas, Georgia, Ole Miss, Alabama, all of those, Kentucky and Florida are all better than any teams in the ACC. So that Missouri, and Missouri is obviously not a part of that crowd. So that, after I realized how bad that win was, or, or how that they even let that team get to overtime at home against them, I realized that they weren't that good. And then when I saw that Clemson only beat them by six, that's more of a reflection on Clemson being bad than Boston College being good. Uh, 19 points is just not enough. This team just doesn't have offense. I think it, their problem is as simple as that. Their defense is not necessarily a championship-level defense, although maybe they would be if their offense could stay on the field for more than, like, five plays because then their defense would be a little bit more rested and they'd be able to play full strength more, uh, as you can see with teams like Michigan who have ridiculous defensive turnarounds from last year just because they're controlling the ball more on offense. Uh, it's just so much easier, and then all of a sudden when you get out of an offensive rhythm, your defense starts to slump, and that's been seen in a bunch of teams, especially Michigan in that Rutgers game too last weekend. Uh, so Clemson just has a lot of problems, and uh, that defense is not going to get any better over the year as they get more tired because their offense cannot stay on the field. Uh, the next one I would go with is Notre Dame for not being able to defend their home field they had a crazy year last year to make the playoff, and then they used three quarterbacks in the most important game of their of their season, a game where you would argue that based on the rest of the college football landscape, especially after Oregon's loss to Stanford, uh, there's a group of five team that's going to make the playoffs that's going to make the playoff this year as long as one of them is undefeated, uh, or Notre Dame, who's not in any conferences, but uh, it would be the winner of this game, and they had the opportunity to win it at home after winning on a neutral field. In what thought what we thought was a big energy game, and all of a sudden they lost that game. Cincinnati wins twenty four to thirteen on the road. Uh, that's not a good look for Notre Dame, and really that kind of ended their season. Just like Clemson and Oregon probably have seasons that are over too. There are a lot of teams who whose playoff races are over, even if they're still ranked higher than other teams. Uh, moving on from that, the last two I had we already mentioned UCLA, so I won't go into depth with it. But like this is just normal UCLA. I, I think we've realized now we that thought they were different. we thought they were different, they're and they're not. Yes, exactly. Then I have to go with LSU losing at home to Auburn, 24-19. Uh, Their defense got gashed. They gave up 450 yards. By the way, Dan Mullen, see, you can give up 450 yards and only give up 24 points, too. You can give up 100, 100 yards or 500 yards and still give up the same amount of points. Uh, their defense, of course, you know, to, to give up five almost 500 yards and, and actually hold the team to 24 isn't too terrible, but it does mean that they were really playing bend, don't break, and we're bending almost to their breaking point about every single possession. And uh, LSU just can't find any rhythm, and they have a decent offense, but they are not. their defense can't really do much to back that up at this point. Uh, so really, I mean, you could put the, the loss on either side of the ball. 24 is not great to give up. 19 is not great to score. I'd probably lean more on the offense being at fault for this loss. But those are my most disappointing teams of the week. Yeah, something that all those most disappointing teams have in common is uh, they may have a, had a great quarterback before and now have significant quarterback drop-off, especially in college football, it matters. Um, and then LSU's got a tough schedule coming up. Um, Ed Orgeron's in trouble. Let's move on to some positive news. Uh, most impressive teams. Well, I chose not to put Arkansas in the most disappointing teams because I almost expected them to score zero points. I think I told you in the middle of the week that when I saw the betting line for the game, I said, 
Oh, Georgia's favored by 19, so basically if they score 21, they're, they'll cover the spread. Uh, I didn't expect Arkansas to score, and guess what? They didn't, so I'm not disappointed in that. Um, good job for getting, like, six or seven first downs, I guess, but um, and almost scoring in garbage time, but almost is almost, and they still got stopped on a third and fourth down and then never ended up scoring in the game. Uh, but for most impressive, look, I had, one of those teams is going to go somewhere. I figured I'd give the credit to Georgia. Backup quarterback, 37 nothing win over a top 10 team. I don't care how much Arkansas was only ranked in the top 10 because of trends, just like teams like Michigan who haven't really played anybody this year so far, or Ohio State who really didn't get knocked down far enough and, you know, you can't keep you can't move teams down when other teams ahead of them are losing. You you have to move them up. So there's some teams that are just sliding the rankings out of necessity. Uh, and Arkansas went up out of necessity and shot up the rankings out of necessity because they had to go above A&M, and they had to pretty much take the place of A&M because that's kind of the team that we thought they were. They're not as good as we thought preseason A&M would be. Uh, they're just not that good. 37 to nothing is an accurate description of how good Georgia is, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put it past Georgia to also be able to, I would say that they'd beat Alabama if they played them tomorrow. I would say they'd beat them next weekend. I'd say they'd beat them the weekend after that. Uh, if they're doing, if they're beating teams 37 to nothing, no matter who it is with a backup quarterback, they can beat anybody in the country when they get JT Daniels back. Uh, and I ranked them number one last week for a reason. And this week just proved that there's no way they're slipping from number one until they lose a game for me. Um, really, they just proved that this weekend, and I was very impressed with that. And also, when you look at it for other conferences, too, that whole rankings necessity kind of a thing, I think Georgia could beat anybody outside of the top five and shut them out and win by at least 20. I think I would I, I think I would pick them 21 to nothing over anybody that's not Alabama, Penn State, or Iowa at this point. Uh, and maybe Cincinnati, too, because they played that close bowl game against them last year, and they're frankly the same two teams, and by the way... Should have been able to predict going into the season that those two teams would be pretty good. If you looked at that game last year, they were the two teams that, that they were the two best teams that didn't make the playoff and actually returned anybody. Oklahoma and Florida were great last year, but lost all their team pretty much. Um, then I will go with Cincinnati. That's I, I guess I could have made a better interlude there, but uh, so I will go with Cincinnati. Twenty-four to thirteen win. We talked about what it means for Notre Dame. For Cincinnati, it means that they might make the playoff. Finally, put the Group of Five curse to an end. Then I'm going to go with Ohio State for finally actually taking care of business for two weeks in a row at this point, although one in a conference game being a little more impressive, beating Rutgers 52-13 to rather than whatever they beat Akron by. Uh, but yeah, just taking care of business and winning by a lot when they should be winning by a lot. Then I'm going to go with Alabama for the same thing. Uh, not as impressive as Georgia, not even close. They barely scored more than Georgia against the team they put 63 up against last, <laughs> last year, and Arkansas does have a good defense. Um, and they also gave up 21 after Ole Miss really blanked themselves in the fir- in the fir- in the first half and literally did not score a single point by halftime. Uh, so th- they could have been better, but I think I'm looking at this. I think I'm talking about Alabama this way just because that's how Nick Saban talks about his own team. Is that even if they would win by 80 points, he'd still find something uh, to be negative about. So I will say they deserve their credit. They're a great team, but right now they're still number two behind Georgia for me. Um, but again, those two are way different from the rest of the, I don't know, 120 that are, that are in D1. There is no te- there are no teams that can compete with Georgia and Alabama except for each other right now. Could they emerge later in the season? Yes. Does Ohio State have the talent to do that? Yes. So Oklahoma? Yes. But the on-field product right now isn't there for them. Oklahoma's barely scraping by and wins, same as Ohio State. 
Uh, Clemson, obviously, is way out of it now, but they were supposed to be there at the beginning of the season. Oregon just lost. So there's nobody who can stay with the teams who are winning by 21 in every game, no matter who they're playing. Uh, And playing top 10 teams, number 12, number 15, to open the season, doesn't matter. Neutral site, home field away. They're just killing everybody. So I think there's nothing that you can debate when it comes to Alabama and Georgia other than one versus the other. Um, And then my last two teams, Oklahoma State, for really taking over the Big Big 12 race, actually, uh, outside of Oklahoma, they probably have a pretty clear path to the Big 12 championship game. And I think they could really go this whole year without losing to anybody but Oklahoma. And they still wouldn't be a a good team. But at the same time, the Big 12 is weak enough that that could lead them to be 11-1 and just because I think they really did beat the third best team in the Big 12, maybe the fourth best. Who knows how good Texas is. We'll see maybe in that Texas-Oklahoma State game later in the year. Uh, And Iowa State's also a toss-up. But considering they just beat the team who beat Iowa State last weekend, I think I can say that Oklahoma State is better than Iowa State. Uh, And then lastly, Penn State for blanking Indiana at home. I know Indiana's not exactly as good as we thought they were, but look, even Iowa's vaunted defense gave up at least six points to them. So I'll take the 24-0 and give Penn State their credit. I thought I'd see Maryland on your most uh, disappointing teams, but then maybe I thought you were sticking Iowa in most impressive. They came in. We didn't think they beat them. We thought they'd be competitive. Too many interceptions. All right, uh, let's keep on the positive note. Most impressive players. Brian Robinson Jr., Alabama, 36 rushes, 171 yards, and four touchdowns in a game that Alabama really could have made a a large, large statement. And I think they made a statement. It was a statement victory. It was going to be if they won by 14, 17, or more. They won by 21. Uh, If they had won by 30, like Georgia did, it would be a really big statement. But this was still a big enough statement, and I think their running game getting on really... Piling it on Ole Miss was a really good sign for the rest of the season because that offensive line was giving Bryce Young about 10 seconds to throw on every play. Uh, So, I mean, I think Alabama had more time to throw on each play than Ole Miss took in between their snaps. So if that's going to keep up, that pass-blocking unit is fine for the rest of the year, and all they need to do is be just respectable in the run game to be really a dynamic offense that could be the only team to to break down Georgia, and this is more than respectable, this performance right here. Uh, So credit to Brian Robinson. And then we're going to go with Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. Not the prettiest outline, 19 for 32, 297 yards, two touchdowns with one rushing touchdown, but he got the job done and got the road win at Notre Dame, a very hard place to win. 26 home wins in a row streak snapped by Cincinnati at Notre Dame. And there were a lot of Cincinnati fans there, but that's a different subject. A lot of Cincinnati fans. All right, and finally, let's uh, go with any overall takeaways you have from across college football's Week 5 action. The year of chaos continues. Nine total ranked teams lost this week. Uh, Some of them two other ranked teams, but number three lost, number eight lost, uh, number three being Oregon, number number eight being uh, Arkansas, number nine, of course, Notre Dame, number 10, Florida, the top 10 teams that lost, 12 is Ole Miss, so yeah, okay, they lost Alabama, whatever, that doesn't mean that much. Uh, but Texas A&M's loss, who was number 15, is important. Uh, then you have Baylor, who lost to Oklahoma State. You also have Fresno State losing. Then you have UCLA losing. So all those teams losing is a lot. Uh, and some of them had some pretty good seasons leading up to this. and looked like they would be kind of your dark horse out of nowhere. This team will end up in like 13th, 14th, and just be respectable by the end of the year. But I'm not so sure about that, especially for Fresno State and UCLA at this point. Uh do we know anything about anybody other than Georgia 
Alabama and Cincinnati at this point. I think this is what I'm really, really pondering. Um, I've just listed a random amount of teams, and I think you could all you could question any one of them: Michigan, Michigan State, Oregon, uh, Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa. I don't think we have any intel on any team that's not Georgia and Alabama, just because and Cincinnati, just because Cincinnati got their big road win. They played the hardest opponent on their schedule and won pretty comfortably, to be quite honest. Uh, no one on their schedule is anywhere near the level of Notre Dame. And their best teams are not on the road either. So they have a very favorable schedule to go 12-0 and and go into the playoff. Uh, Georgia and Alabama don't play each other in the regular season, so it looks like that might be your SEC championship matchup. Uh, and maybe both teams end up making it in the playoff regardless because every other team already has one loss anyway. And if if they both enter that game 12-0, and I don't see how you can deny whoever loses to the number one team in the country when you have Ohio State losing to Oregon, you have Oregon losing to Stanford. I mean, there those are two options off the board right there. Uh, obviously, you'll have other scenarios later in the season. But really, I think those are the only three that we can say anything comfortably about. And I think we can say that they're, they might not be the top three, but Georgia and Bama are the top two. And I think Cincinnati has the talent to jump up into that top four easily. And I guess I would agree with you, although I don't know how much we know, really know about Cincinnati, given how bad Indiana's looked and how Notre Dame really squeaked out some wins over some crummy teams. Well, I'm saying we do know that for the outlook of their season, they're primed to go undefeated. And I think Georgia and Alabama and Cincinnati are the only teams I feel comfortable saying about that. Uh, And we might learn a little bit. I don't know what's going on with Penn State and Iowa next weekend. weekend. Well, yeah, so one of them already has to not go undefeated. Um, Michigan Michigan and Michigan State have to play each other. And, and they have Penn to play State. Ohio State and Penn State. Yep. So Ohio State has one loss now, but could emerge from the pack as the one with the best record. And by the end of the day, they might still be two losses themselves. So I think there's a lot of conversation that you could go through there. And the SEC really has been a mess outside of Georgia and Bama because Arkansas, Ole Miss, Florida have lost. I mean, Kentucky is arguably the best team in the SEC behind Bama and Georgia. I think Easily, they're above A&M at this point. They beat Florida, so you can't really contest that they're worse than Florida. Uh, what, are you going to put Auburn above them? LSU's not better nope. than them. So it's really hard to find another team. I mean, I would put Ole Miss and Arkansas in the, in, in the discussion with Kentucky, and we'll see maybe if they play them. Uh, but I think that, look, you just really don't know what's going on. And uh, this year is the year of of Cincinnati, I think. I think I, I talked about it a little bit, but they have the clearest road. There is so much chaos early in the season, and you know that later in the season there will be more. I would envision that normally what you have is a bunch of teams that are 5-0 and that were supposed to go undefeated at the beginning of the season, and then they lose late in the season. But Ohio State has room to lose again. Penn State has room to lose A to Iowa this weekend and later in the season, too, somewhere maybe to Michigan, maybe to Michigan State. Michigan and Michigan State are Ohio probably going to find a way to lose a game. Uh, Ohio State, same thing. There will be teams that lose. Oregon will probably find a way to lose another game. Maybe they don't, but if they don't, they don't play anybody anyway because now UCLA and Washington are unranked. They're two toughest games, so they have no one on their schedule. Cincinnati's schedule might end up being more formidable than uh, than Oregon's by the end of the season. Houston might be ranked before any of Oregon's opponents become ranked by the end of the season. So, uh, really, I, I, you made a face of me. I, 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 see, I sincerely believe that. And SMU. by the way, SMU is SMU, on the cusp of being Houston. ranked too. Both of them. Um, but... The ACC is just, I just put a question mark. I just wrote the ACC and then put a question mark there because I really have no idea what's going on. Uh, I talked about what I think about Boston College and Clemson. Clemson's not winning the conference. Miami sucks. Um, Virginia is... The top three teams 
the UNC, top three teams Miami, preseason are all are all have two losses. Yeah, terrible season. So you you can't really give it to any of them there. Uh, Virginia Tech looks like they're going to win because they have the win over Northern Car- uh, Northern Carolina, North Carolina already in the books, which is pretty important. Uh, and the rest of the conference really doesn't have that much to write home about. So I think they're probably the favorites as of now. Uh, and maybe a Wake Forest, who got a tough win over Louisville. But if they can barely beat Louisville at home, I don't see how they're beating anybody else in the conference. Uh, and NC State has a win over Clemson, but mm, I don't think that means that much, honestly. Uh, and they struggled to beat Louisiana Tech this weekend. So they're not great either. So uh, the ACC is wide open. All right. Well, that wraps up our look at college football for Week 5. Let's move on to our weekly review of NFL action and start off with the most disappointing teams. I think this one's obvious. I think there's two that are obvious. If you lose to a team from from New York, you are a very disappointing team. So for this week, that means the Titans for losing 27 to 24 in overtime to the Zach Wilson apocalypse Jets. uh, They take the cake for number one. I mean, look. Sure, you had Julio Jones out. Sure, you had AJ Brown out. But why didn't they just run the army, uh, the army uh, offense? Like they should have literally taken. They should have gone to to West Point and they should have asked for their playbook and they should have photocopied it and sent it to their office in Tennessee and then brought it on the plane to New York and just dumped it off with Derrick Henry running on every single play. I think that literally was the best chance to win that game. They have no receivers. Their receivers, their leading receivers in the game were 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 Jeremy McNichols, their backup running back to Derrick Henry, and Josh Reynolds, who was a practice squad receiver half of the year for the Rams last year, and sure, he was okay, but you don't have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. You can't let yourself get to the point where you need to pass, and really, the defense needed to step up to make sure that once the offense gave them the lead and they knew they could not win coming back, they needed to make sure that Ryan Tannehill didn't have to be a pocket passer throwing to basically a (laughs) college-level platoon of receivers. Uh, th- this team just was not good enough this week, and they had the situations in their hands, but they just didn't do a good job of executing on them, and that's something that you definitely should be doing against the Jets, and it says a lot about the Titans overall this season. But uh, the next one is the Saints for blowing their lead against the Giants and losing in overtime. Uh, same situation there. They lost 27-21 to in overtime. You can't let up a 54-yard touchdown, uh, reception touchdown to Saquon Barkley. They let Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay gash them pretty much all day. Uh, and that was really all the Giants had going for them was Saquon and Kenny Galladay. But somehow it resulted in a win. Uh, and really, look, these teams played 0-3 teams. These are perfect opportunities to get their records to 3-1 and for both the Titans and the Saints, who the Titans don't play in a great division, but they played in actually probably the worst division. But the Saints have the Buccaneers in their division. If they could have a better record than the Buccaneers in week four, or even have the same record as them, that would be huge. But now they lost that opportunity because they lost at the Giants while the Patri- while the Buccaneers won at the Patriots in tough condition. Uh, so that's really disappointing for the Saints. And then the last one, the Lions for having maybe their best chance of the year to win other than when they play the same Bears at home and still easily losing. Uh, Justin Fields probably had no confidence going into this week, and the Lions just gave him all of it. Uh, they lost 24-14, to after he had was sacked more times than he completed passes against Cleveland, all of a sudden, 24-14, to 14, he knows how to play offense again. It's crazy. Uh, the Lions suck. Yeah, the Lions are a cure for a lot of teams' ills. All right, let's uh, focus on the positive. Most impressive teams. 
Well, a lot of teams played bad teams this week, and a lot of them, as I just said, didn't take care of business. So let's go with the Bengals for their comeback on Thursday Night Football because, what, they were down 21 nothing in that game, were they not? Or they were down 14 nothing. The Jaguars had a chance to make it 21 nothing. They failed to do that. Correct. But they were down 14 to nothing nonetheless. Uh, then they were down 21-14 in the fourth quarter and ended up coming back for, uh, and then winning the game 24-21. to uh, Look, young quarterbacks making comebacks are, is a very good sign for your franchise long-term. And also, the Bengals are 3-1 and one this year. And with an expanded playoff format, I'm not saying the Bengals are a contender because right now, if you look at the playoff picture, you have the Bengals and the Broncos in the playoffs and the Chiefs and the Browns out of it. So two teams are leaving, and I think we know who they might be. But... Uh, they still have a chance, and they put themselves in a good position so far. They beat they, they beat the Steelers on the road, which was probably one of their tougher games of the season. Maybe they won't beat the Ravens or the Browns both times, but hey, if you could split with the Ravens or the Browns, now all of a sudden you're looking at you beat you get, did a good job with all your tough division games, and if they beat the Steelers at home, especially, you're looking at a six win team already without any of the other games in their season uh, filled out. You're looking at six and three plus whatever you do outside of your division. I would give them good chances to make the playoffs if they were able to just split those series with the Ravens, the Browns, and even the Steelers after they already have a win in the books. So the Bengals looking good for the rest of the season, and the best thing for a young quarterback is to get confidence. So for Joe Burrow to beat his former college opponent of, oh, look, who's better than you? We don't care about all your records. Here's a guy who's still better than you regardless, uh, that being Trevor Lawrence. For him to beat him again, by the way, he has his number. Um, for him to beat him again, for him to beat him again is very, very important, and he's going to have a lot of confidence going into the rest of the season. The next team, another team that played a really bad team, the Bills won 40 to nothing. I don't care who you play. Yeah. You can play Davis Mills, who's basically the equivalent. He was probably worse than Sanford's quarterback this year. But at the same time, you beat an NFL team 40 to nothing, so you deserve congratulations. And Mitchell Trubisky threw, threw a touchdown pass this week uh, because the game got to that point. Yes, that's right. Mitchell Trubisky enter, entered the game for the Bills, uh, and now they are on to Kansas City next week, and they're a little bit more well-rested than Kansas City because they got to really take the fourth quarter off in, in that game. Uh, the next team I'm going to go with is Seattle for being themselves again and bouncing back, beating a team that really could go a lot of different ways, but that being the 49ers, they won 28-21 to uh, in San Francisco, but the 49ers could go a lot of different ways. I don't know where they could go. Uh, their defense does not look like the Super Bowl defense, and the offense looks just the same, if not even a little bit more out of rhythm and out of sync. Maybe Trey Lance can change that now that Jimmy Garoppolo is injured. Maybe that move forces them to have Lance in the game, which makes them, which might make them more dynamic on offense. Um, and then the last one, the Ravens for dominating the Broncos, 23-7, to a team that the Broncos were 3-0. People were talking about their defense, blah, 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 blah. I always said I don't really care because they played the three worst teams in the league. They played the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Giants. So uh, you could throw a lot of defenses out in the NFL, and they could look good holding those teams to under 14 points. But the Broncos were still 3-0, and the Ravens did go into a tough environment to play. And regardless of noise, I don't even know how loud the Broncos fans were because I wasn't really watching that game. But I don't care how loud they are. You're playing at mile high. It's very hard to play in that altitude, and the Ravens did just fine and did really, really well. Couldn't bring yourself to do the Cardinals over your Rams, could you? No. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the most impressive players. I'm not, impressed by the, I'm not impressed by the Cardinals. They beat up on the Titans, too, on the road. I'm not surprised all at right. all. All right. Most impressive players. Uh, I'm going to go with Zach Wilson on offense just because he had two throws that were literally the exact 
This is why you drafted me, New York. Perfect flashes of why their franchise is possibly in good hands if they, you know, like redo the whole management team and the GMs and the owners like five times over. Then they'll have finally the curse uh, will be written and then Zach Wilson can lead them to the promised land. (laughs) Um, But 21 of 34, 297 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. But his, his stat line before that interception and after that interception was crazy. His stat line before the interception was, I think, one for seven with like five yards and the interception. And then after that, two long 60-yard in the air, air distance throws that ended up being completions, one to Corey Davis, one to Jamison Crowder, where he just extended the play for a very long time in a very Kyler Murray-like way. You want me to mention him? There he is. Um, and just launched the ball downfield from it, from basically off-platform. One of them actually on the run, jumping off his wrong foot, and still threw it 60 yards downfield. That's why you drafted. That's why you drafted Zach Wilson. Uh, maybe he's not going to be as stable all the time like Trevor Lawrence, who won't turn the ball over as much. But those throws are exactly why you draft Zach Wilson. Uh, and he led them to their first win this weekend. Maybe they can get some confidence going forward. The next one, Tyreek Hill. 11 receptions, 186 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, one of the most ridiculous stat lines I've ever heard from really any player, especially a receiver, although he probably barely outdid himself <laughs> for one of uh, the craziest stat lines that I've ever seen. And then finally, I'm going to go with Trayvon Diggs because I do need to mention Dallas's win. If you think I need to mention the Cardinals, I do need to mention the Cowboys. Um that win oh, yeah. over Carolina. Well, Carolina was three and zero going into the game too, and we also don't know. Uh, they're all uh, another team with a new quarterback. But anyway, um, th- I think the most important thing of this game was just they need a defense, and uh, Trayvon Diggs is he's delivering on that. He has five interceptions in the team's first four games, and in his first four games of his career, he's on pace technically to have twenty interceptions in the Crazy. season. Actually, twenty-one interceptions in the season, twenty-one and some change. That would definitely set a record, and uh, let's just say he's very, very, he's primed to lead the league in interceptions. He also had four tackles in this game and two pass deflections. So really, they got a lockdown corner in the draft, and they did not get him necessarily in the high part of the first round. They got him pretty early, but he, a lot of teams could have drafted him and didn't, and I'm sure they might be regretting it right about now, uh, but it, look, this game was just insane. He had the two interceptions and the two pass deflections, so great job by Trayvon Diggs. All right, any overall takeaways from the action across the NFL in Week 4? Uh, I don't know what's going on in the NFC West anymore. Uh, the Seahawks are now better than the Niners if you look at head-to-head, and the Rams are also worse than the Cardinals by a lot. But what does that make them in relation to the, to the, <laughs> to the 49ers? What does it make them in relation to the Seahawks? Well... We'll find out next weekend. Uh, The Rams play the Seahawks on Thursday night football, so guess what? We actually have two teams that are real playoff contending teams on Thursday night football instead of trying to pass off the Bengals as a possible contender. Uh, And then also later in the weekend, you have the 49ers playing the Cardinals. So we're going to figure out how they are relative to each other. Uh, If the Rams Rams beat the Seahawks on the road, maybe we kind of get a clear picture that it's really the Cardinals, the Rams, the Seahawks, then the Niners, especially if the Cardinals beat the Niners. I think it would be clearing up a little bit, but for now it's still a little bit confusing. The jury's still out. Uh, In the AFC West, it is getting clearer. I think we know that we will get what we get from Kansas City year in and year out by the end of the season at some point. So it's really just on how long do the other teams get to uh, wait with their division lead. Although I will say the Chargers win over the Raiders tonight 
in basically a Raiders home game, although they're going to play two of those this season because, uh, well, that wasn't actually the home game. That was the one that was in SoFi Stadium. <laughs> then they have to go to Allegiant later in the year. But the Chargers won a very tough game to win, uh, in which this is so funny, but in a very tough environment, ironically, uh, at their home stadium, also because they were probably scared because they've never seen lightning in the last like three or four years, and that delayed the game. <laughs> that was probably a little bit distracting. And they were also probably confused why they needed to do a lightning delay in an indoor stadium. It but, was kind of foreshadowing. It was the bolts playing, and there were lightning bolts in the sky before the game. Sure, but they have three wins where there weren't lightning in within the last two or three months before that. But anyway, uh, probably longer than that, maybe two or three years, frankly, from what I remember. <laughs> but... Uh, look, then you have the Chiefs, and then you also have the Broncos, who played a really easy schedule to this point, and I think out of all the teams, they're all 3-1 and one except for Kansas City, who's 2-2. Two and two. Kansas City's the best. The Chargers are the second best, although the Chargers are contesting that spot by getting that win at Kansas City. They're easily making the argument. Then you have the Raiders behind those two. And then the Broncos really just haven't played anybody. In the first test they had, they did not do well in. Uh, the Raiders at least got some energy in their comeback. They were losing 21-0 and made it 21-14. They made it interesting. And they played some close games and pulled out close games this year, which is something that the Broncos haven't had to do because they've either been blown out in their one loss or they've blown out everybody else because of who they played. Uh, the, look, the, the AFC North has some good teams. And then they have the Steelers. The Steelers are now 1-3 on the year. Um, their only win is a win is a week one win, a comeback win at Buffalo, which is the confusing thing because that's a very tough win to get. They beat probably who's playing as the best team right now in the AFC. But then they lose at home to the Bengals. Now they've lost to the Packers. This team just is not very good. And I think the rest of the AFC North, as, ev- as evidenced by their 3-1 records, uh, Cleveland only lost to Kansas City. Baltimore beat Kansas City and only lost on the road to the Raiders in overtime. The Bengals have an overtime win and only one loss on the year. So these are all good teams. Uh, and I think that I think the Steelers' playoff hopes uh, very early in the season aren't looking too well, aren't looking too good because they already played the easiest game within their division and they lost it, and that was playing at home against the Bengals. They got to go on the road to the Bengals. They got to go on the road to the Ravens. They got to go on the road to the Browns. They also have to play the the other two, the Baltimore and Cleveland, at home. And I don't think they're winning those games. Uh, and then the last takeaway that I have. Buffalo will run away with the AFC East, and it'll probably be over by maybe week 11 or week 12. It's actually possible. They're 3-1. and one. Sure, they play Kansas City next weekend, but Miami is 1-3, New England is 1-3, and, and the Jets are 1-3. And, and all of those teams, if you think about it, aren't really anywhere close to the Bills' level. Uh, everybody kind of knew that the Bills would be only contested slightly by the Patriots if Mac Jones could come out and have a very great rookie season. He's had a good rookie season. He's playing well for a rookie, but not that's not good enough to challenge Josh Allen, who's playing good enough for an MVP candidate. Uh, so it looks like the Bills are going to run away with the AFC, with the AFC East, I should say, maybe even the AFC by the end of the season. And we managed to do our entire NFL coverage without mentioning Tom Brady returning to New England. Well, I did mention that the Buccaneers. I did mention the Buccaneers win at, at the Patriots once. <laughs> okay. Well, that wraps up our look at NFL action for this past week. Now let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball, where the regular season has wrapped up and the playoffs are about to start. The wild card round will start on Tuesday in the American League, where the New York Yankees, with Garrett Cole on the mound, he was sixteen and eight with a three point two three ERA in the regular season, will be at their rivals, the Boston Red Sox, with Nathan Evaldi starting. 
for the Red Sox. He was 11 and 9 this season with a 3.75 ERA. Patrick, what do you think happens in this game? Uh, the Red Sox don't have Chris Hill starting, so I'm picking the Yankees because they've been hot and they had the Red Sox number at Fenway last weekend. Uh, and if you've ever watched the Yankees this season, you know that they lose a bunch of games in a row, then they win a bunch in a row, then they lose a bunch in a row, then they win in a bunch in a row. Uh, a bunch in a row, that's a lot. That's a mouthful. Um, they won their last game of the season. They had just lost three out of four. So what does that mean? They're going to win a bunch of games in a row. So watch out. They're going to beat the Red Sox. Then they're going to win two against the Rays, and then they're going to lose right after that. They're going to lose all three games after that. That's all right, my prediction so the, win, the, wild, the winner of that game does face the uh, number one seed Rays in the ALDS, which starts on Thursday. I, I'm going to take the Rays in five games, so no, no matter who they're playing. Okay, and I would do the same, but I think the Red Sox win this game. I think, uh, again, if Garrett Cole's been not so great recently, and Evaldi's pitched well, and I'll just give, it to, give him the nod uh, with the home field advantage. It's a coin flip. When Giancarlo Stanton hits his 500-foot home run in the postseason, then we can talk about it. Yeah, well, he could. He, there's a lot of guys in the Yankees who can blast the ball over that green monster. Maybe put a, maybe dent the green monster, uh, put a hole in it with the ball. Uh, so in the other American League divisional series, which which starts on Thursday, you've got the number three seeded Chicago White Sox at the number two seeded Astros. What are your thoughts on that? I was very high on the White Sox for most of the season. I had them as a World Series pick, but after the injuries to the pitching staff, I mean, Luis Robert came back way better than we thought he could. I mean, he came back and hit like 360 in the rest of the year. So there's still reason to believe in the White Sox. I think they'll play this close, but they are an under 500 team on the road, and they will be playing the majority of the games in the series on the road against a team who has a massive amount of play a playoff experience uh, and just experience in general from the guys who weren't even in the, on the playoff runs with the Astros. So... I'm going to have to lean Astros here. I'm going to pick them in five games, too. Although I do believe that the White Sox can... I, I think that after last year's experience and then after this year's experience, by next year, they'll be ready to go and they'll have enough experience to really take the AL by storm. Yeah, this is a team that, like you said, was really hot and they've kind of just... It's almost like they clinched and the rest of their division wasn't competitive and they've just been kind of flat. I'll take well, it. they've won a bunch of games in a row yeah, after they clinched the division, but they really stumbled to the clinch yeah. itself. It's actually odd, but I guess they are play- they did end the season on a good note because they were playing awfully. They were like 4 and 6 every every time you looked at their last 10 games, they were 4 and 6, 5 and 5. Uh and then they all of a sudden turned it around and had a really great end to the season. Uh, but that was after they clinched, and that's probably really based on their opponents not really caring by that point of the season. Uh, but I'm gonna, but I, 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 I'm still leaning Astros just because they also ended the season yeah. pretty well, and they have that experience. I'll take Astros in four as opposed to the five uh, that you predicted. Let's turn our attention to the National League, where the wild card game starts on Wednesday. St. Louis Cardinals with Adam Wainwright on the hill, 17 and seven this year with a 3.05 ERA. They are at the Los Angeles Dodgers, second best record in baseball, but they are relegated to a wild card game. Throwing Max Scherzer out there, he was 15 and four with a 2.46 ERA, spanning uh, both his stint with the Dodgers in the beginning of the season, pre-trade deadline with the Washington Nationals. Your thoughts on this game, Patrick? I'm not going to pick against the Dodgers, but uh, I will say both of these pitchers in the second half of the season have been insane. Uh, both of them are legends of the game. They're both going to be Hall of Famers. They're both going to retire pretty soon, too, but this will be a good end of the career. Uh, I mean, we'll look back on this matchup. If, if if this ends up being a 2-1, 1-0 game, we'll look back on this, and there will be documentaries made about whoever out of, these, out of this team makes a run at any point in the next few years 
And they'll be able to talk about the old guys on the mound in the wild card game, even with young Cy Young contenders like Walker Bueller and Jack Flaherty that are behind those that are behind those old aces on the roster, although Flaherty obviously injured. But I'm still picking the Dodgers because if the Cardinals were carrying a 21-game win streak into the playoffs, I would have said uh, they have to lose at some point. And if since they're not, I'll say they're not as hot anymore, and they lost some games to the Cubs at the end of the season. So they didn't actually end the season on the greatest note. Uh, and their bullpen compared to the Dodgers is nothing. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the Dodgers because of that. I think that if the Dodgers can just do what they've done consistently in the playoffs the last few years, run up the pitch count, although they won't be able to do that as much without Max Muncy. Right. But I will say that the rest of the team is still patient enough. And uh, if Trey Turner's being impatient, at least he'll smack grand slams and home runs anyway. Um, yeah, I think I, I think just with that going on, I think they can run up Wainwright's pitch count, get to the bullpen earlier than the if the Dodgers get to their get to the Cardinals bullpen earlier than they go to theirs, they will win this game. All right, I agree. The Dodgers win the game, which would set up uh, a matchup against the number one seeded Giants uh, starting on Friday in the National League Divisional Series. The Giants, the number one seed, will have the home field advantage. Your thoughts on that, uh, whoever against the Giants, I guess we're both predicting the Dodgers. What an epic series if that happens. Well, I know we're both not going to pick against the Dodgers just because we're Dodgers fans. From a pure analytical mind, I would say uh, this series finishes in five games, two and a half to two and a half. Um, Really, I think it's split right down the middle. There's a reason why there was only one game uh, separating these two teams in the standings over 162 games. And frankly, didn't have to be one, could have been a tie. Uh, very easily, a lot of things in the course of the season could have happened differently in both teams' favor. A check swing call away from flipping from That's, the divisions, flipping the other way, or a dropped ball by a player on another team, or a robbed home run, or actually two robbed home runs by Mike Talkman, who now isn't even on the roster. Or guy uh, not but, touching second out of force out. Yeah, it's there's a just, lot of things that could have changed this division. I mean, look, it was only one game, so I mean. It's it's it seriously is a toss up, but because we're biased, I'm going with the Dodgers. But there's no way the series ends in less than five games, no matter who wins. I agree with you. It's if it were if it were if Muncie hadn't been hurt, and frankly Kershaw hadn't been hurt. Although the Kershaw loss isn't to me, especially in a short series with days off, is bad. Um, I, I'll take the Dodgers in five. Um, the season series ends tied between the two teams. That would be most appropriate. Let's move on to the other series. The number three. Seated Atlanta Braves at the number two seeded Milwaukee Brewers. We did touch on this on the last podcast, but I want to clarify both of our predictions. So I'm going to go ahead and say the Brewers like I did on the last podcast. I don't want to predict every series in five, so I'm just going to go ahead and say in four. If I was being really crazy, I might say they'd sweep because they have the three pitchers lined up, but I don't actually know if they do. Uh, And I think the Braves will find a way that one game they'll just hit like 10 home runs and set like a playoff record or something because that's what their lineup is built to do. But I think that's the only game they'll muster up and then they'll kind of fizzle out for the rest of the series because of that Brewers pitching staff. Uh, I agree. Brewers in four. And with that agreement, we're wrapping up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, October 8th, where we will look at the start of the MLB playoff action and we'll have those uh, divisional series matchups definitively stated. Uh, And we'll take a look at other important news from the world of sports. But in the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his predictions for the entire college football and NFL seasons, the fifth installment of our college football top 25 poll, which will be released on Tuesday, and Patrick's Major League Baseball Power Rankings, which are posted on Saturdays on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.